if you go out there with the goal of just witnessing what an incredible environment that is and experience the beauty of, you know, those flats and really being out there in the middle of nowhere, you know, you're in the tip of an archipelago in the middle of the ocean, you can't have a bad day. That was Marshall Cutchin with a little mindset reminder to start the day. The OG of fly fishing websites, today on the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show, where you discover tips, tricks, and tools from the leading names in fly fishing today. Hey, thanks for stopping by the Fly Fishing Show. Did you know, I'm not sure if you're listening on Spotify right now, but if you are, uh, there's a new chance to leave a rating on Spotify. We've been talking a lot about Apple Podcasts in the past, but right now, you can leave a rating, and uh, when, I, when I'm when uh, i talking right now, uh, we didn't have a single rating, so it'd be awesome if you could do that. If you've listened to the show in the past, it'll allow you to leave a quick rating. Hopefully, that's a five-star review. Hopefully, we've been over-delivering for you. And if we haven't, I would love to hear from you and hear what you want to hear about. Uh, maybe I've been missing some key topics. You can send me a message, dave at wetflyswing.com anytime. Before we get started, let's hear from our sponsors. In today's world of mass-produced products, Stonefly Nets has reclaimed the tradition of handcrafted care with their custom wood landing nets. Stonefly's goal is to create a unique custom classic wood net that are second to none in quality and can be customized for that little extra touch. Please head over to wetflyswing.com stonefly to get your custom net today. That's wetflyswing.com stonefly to get started right now. The Fly Fishing Film Tour is back. It's back again. Don't miss this year's 2022 F3T as it returns to a theater near you. All sorts of goodness uh, in this year's series, including some unforgettable stories from coast to coast, salt, freshwater. It's all covered, including some of the great conservation partners. You can head over to wetflyswing.com F3T. That'll redirect you over to the Fly Fishing Film Tour at flyfilmtour.com. Check it out right now. How's it going, Marshall? Going pretty well. It's uh, a little bit chilly here in Colorado this morning with freezing rain, but um, it's, uh, you know, summer's on the way. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, you guys have been rocked pretty, uh, I mean, that fire, were you near that thing? I was about 20 miles away, um, you know, and I think it's pretty obvious that that was a freak uh, occurrence, but I mean, it could yeah. happen anywhere on the front range, sure. Yeah, right. Uh, well, we're going to dig into uh, MidCurrent. You've been out doing this for quite a while. I'm curious to hear what it's been like for you. I think, uh, how many years has it been? W- when did you launch that thing? Uh, launched in the spring of uh, 2003. I think it was 2003. Maybe it was 2004. <laughs> it's been a while. <laughs> right, 2000. So almost 20 years. Yeah, um, I, I think we uh, were the first fly fishing blog, uh, if not the first, and the first one that lasted more than a couple of weeks. Oh, no kidding. Uh, yeah, and uh, so, yeah, it's been a long time. Who was the, uh, when you started in 0304, who was the other, what were the other blogs there? Uh, do you remember any? And who's still going? I don't think any of them are still going. Um there were a couple, and I apologize to anybody who oh, yeah. <laughs> who was around at that time and still is, but I I can't remember the names. But you know, there were there was just a moment in time when everybody was uh, discovering blogs. It was busy. Yeah, yeah, it was busy. Yeah. 
now you think of a you you stuck around. Why you? Why are you the different? You know, why didn't anybody else stick around for twenty years? I don't know. I you know whether it was because I had a plan or um, you know I'd been. At the time I started MidCurrent, I was a marketing director for a big international company and had been VP of technology for another company in advertising. So I, you know, I sort of knew the technology and the opportunity that was being created by Google Search at the time. So uh, that's probably the difference maker there. Uh, yeah. But who knows? But, I mean, it's it's no question that luck plays a huge portion in all of uh, yep. all of business. So that's right. Well, let's go back uh, really quick to the start uh, of your fly fishing. Let's start there because I want to get the whole story and and give us a little perspective on it. So where did you get started? When did fly fishing come into your life? Um, Well, you know, I was like every other kid. I I fished for bluegill with poppers. Uh, My dad's old bamboo rod when I was real little. But um, one of my most vivid memories is catching uh, catfish on live crickets with my grandmother when I was four or five years old. But uh, my real... um, introduction to fly fishing happened after I went to Key West in my uh, sophomore year of college and I just on a whim hired hired a, a flats guide and it was really you know there were really slim pickings down there in 1978 or whenever that was um, and uh, I just happened to be sitting in a restaurant and asking the waitress what, what there was to do. And she said, well, you can go fishing. And I said, well, for what? And she said, tarpon. And I said, what are those? So she was telling me about tarpon. She said, my, and by the way, my husband is a guide. So, so I booked her. There you go. I booked her husband uh, for, I think it was a half day of fishing. Maybe it was a full day. And then we, we went out and um, – Looked for fish all morning, couldn't find any fish, and finally got back uh, in front of Ballast Key, which is west of Key West, and um, had about uh, between two and 3,000 tarpon come by the boat in about three hours. Wow. Um, yeah. So uh, that was my – and the first, you know, legitimate fish I hooked on a fly rod was a tarpon, about – probably about 80 or 100 pounds. So. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah, so you were – so, like, I mean, college, it seems like the transformational times, right? I mean, once you hit that, were you, was it all over? I mean, were you pretty much fly fishing the rest of your, your days since then? Oh, no, no, no. I mean, I, you know, I retained that. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, I could see that moment, you know, in my mind right now. But, you know, I was uh, hard and fast on the career path. Uh, and um, Nothing was, you know, you know how you are when you're 19 years old. Nothing yeah. is going to stand in your way. You're immortal. And <laughs> yeah. it wasn't until I had been in business for about five or six years that I decided that I was going to quit and become a fishing guide. Oh, nice. That's it. So you didn't let it leave you and you and you became a guide. And I think it was what, like uh, 10 or 10 years, right, or so, something like that you were guiding. Yeah, it was uh, about 11 and a half years and um, left in 1997 and went to Montana for a couple of years with my with my future wife. There you go. And then and then so you're guiding. And uh, so take us to the, the mid current. Bring that back into the fold. Where did that all start up? Yeah, so that was much later. Um, I got back into the after my wife and I decided to have kids. We left Montana um, because she couldn't imagine having a child where there was no um a uh, nerve block for pregnancy for for delivery. Oh, right. <laughs> so that was one of the one of the key decision points there. And then the other was just you know we needed to make some money because uh, 
I hadn't been making, I've been writing for two years. I hadn't been making any money at all. And she was working in the local law firm. So uh-huh. I could see the writing on the wall, you know? So I went back and got a job as, uh, as a proofreader with, uh, a company that was the leading publisher of electronic games at the time, uh, in North Carolina. And, uh, just sort of quickly advanced up the, the ladder there. Um, then the dot-com um, bubble hit and uh, went right. to work for an even larger company uh, as their sort of consultant traveling around the country talking to their marketing teams about web development. And I, I, at that time, I was a web developer uh, as well as a consultant. So. Gotcha. Yeah, so you were fully – so before MidCurrent even came to it as a thought, you were already a fully – I mean, that was your profession. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't. The technology was pretty uh, all familiar to me and even the advertising side. So mm. it was really a question of like, you know, if I'm going to build something sustainable that's going to last for longer than a couple of years, like what does it have to look like? And, and um, you know, my goal was just to have uh, originally in the first couple of years just to have the highest traffic in the fly fishing space. And we we actually were the most popular site on the web after about nine months. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, just based on news, basically news uh, about the industry. And, and uh, Jim Murphy, who um, is with Hardy and Gray's now, was with uh, other companies before that. He told me, uh, I think six years in, he said, do you, you realize you just invented fly fishing news? There was no fly fishing news before Midgar came Oh, along. no kidding. <laughs> I was like, I guess there wasn't any news. <laughs> That's right. So you were before, so this is even before Orvis News, right? Did they even have their thing going? No, in fact, I, I would like to think I inspired them to uh, yeah. to imitate what we were doing. And I think maybe if you asked them, they would tell you this is probably true. And so, uh, yeah. There you go. There you go. Yeah. And now, uh, yeah, now there's a lot of, uh, well, I don't know how many, but there's a lot. I mean, now we're back yeah. to full circle. There's, there's literally hundreds of millions of uh, websites. I don't know how many are fly fishing, but there's a lot, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot, and there, you know, there's virtually no cost of entry, and the cost of entry keeps getting lower every year. So, you know, if you want to, if you want to start a uh, a fly fishing website or a fly fishing brand, it's it's really super easy to do. And whether it's on the gear side or the information side, and mm-hmm. and um, you know, that's all good. The the challenge, of course, is that fly fishing is a tiny industry, yeah. and so media in general is really difficult to monetize. Uh, whether you're, you know, NBC or, or um, you know, a tiny mom and pop e-commerce operation, or especially content sites, are are very very difficult from a business standpoint. Yep, that's right. And but you've yeah. been able to do that over the years. You've monetized that site. Yeah. So we started selling advertising in around 2007 or 2008, and. Um, for a while, we were sort of the only game in town, and then and then you know other people sort of started thinking, hey, maybe I can sell ads on my side, and so um, that transformation happened. But then, probably about five or six years ago, uh, we we moved to more of a marketing partnership type of relationship with our uh, paying clients, and that's that just means that we do more than just advertising. You know, we. We consult with them on their own strategic goals. We do, we help them with uh, everything from email to social to to display advertising to even in some cases helping them choose you know where to advertise and print that sort of thing. 
Gotcha. Yeah, no, yeah. I think I think that's smart. That basically separates you from just an ad, which is like, I mean, who likes an ad, right? I mean, typically the ads are, uh, unless unless you really want that thing, you're pretty much annoyed you're skipping through it, right? Yeah, I mean, it's, um, you know, it's the old model, which is sort of intrusive and um, annoying, you know, which still works. Um, but, you know, they're just this, the, the other opportunities are so much better, particularly things like email, um, which, by the way, everybody said was going to was going to die. That's right. Ten years ago. They always say that. Yeah, email's dead. I think they just said it recently. It's dead again. Yeah. <laughs> it's dead again, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. No, I think it's it's funny because, yeah, it's such a changing world. And it's good to talk to you about it because you've been there for longer than most. And, uh, you know, like social media is a good example. You know, I mean, you got a new social media thing comes. I just heard about a new one yesterday or this week. Somebody, I guess I didn't even know this, but I guess uh, Trump has a new uh, Twitter, uh, similar to Twitter, a, a new social thing that people are. Yeah. Know. Yeah. I mean, yeah. If you got the money, it's really easy to create a channel of any type, right? Exactly. Yeah. It's crazy. So, no, this is good. I, I, I've got a uh, you know a bunch of questions that pop up as you talk about this, um, and maybe we could circle back around to some of the um, you know some of the marketing stuff because I'm always interested in that you know of course. And there's brands that are you know listening now that are interested, but I would love to hear more about you know the website itself, like the content when you when you started out. Tell us about that. The idea when you started versus now. How's that look? The website. Well, you know, sort of along the lines of what we were talking about with news, there not being any fly fishing news. It wasn't that there weren't actually bits of information and, you know, new products and, and uh, things happening with people and, and events and that sort of thing. It's just that it really wasn't available anywhere, you know. And, and I think, you know, what makes a successful publishing operation is not just content, but also distribution and so for the idea that I had for Midcurrent was we would have the highest, you know, offer the highest reach and have the highest reach of any uh, media in fly fishing. And we've been able to maintain that, which is pretty remarkable. But, um, we, you know, we've also had to shift with the winds, um, you know, uh, with in terms of the changing demographics, the changing age groups and the way they consume information. So, you know, we, I resisted for a long time, even getting involved in social media because I really like most publishers at the time was really resistant to, um, Mark Zuckerberg owning my content. Right. You know? And yeah. so, you know, uh, we were kind of late to that game. We've, we've mm -hmm. caught up now, but, um, I sort of wish I had bitten the bullet earlier on that. And then, um, the demographic, of course, you know, in fly fishing being mostly older male is still true. I think that part of that's just because people don't really pick up sports. Most people don't pick up a sport like fly fishing until they're, let's say, 30. They just, you know, have an established career and decent income because it's not cheap for people who like to travel or, right. you know, find all the great fishing spots, et cetera, et cetera. Yep. And so... You know, the, the media or Midcurrent, I really felt, had to really respond to that. So we jumped into social media. We uh, jumped into Instagram. And, you know, the challenge for me, to be to be honest, is not has never been the technology. It's always been about sort of like what do we 
how do we represent our brand and what is our brand about? And so um, I, you know, decided a long time ago, actually at the beginning, before I started Midcurrent, I, I sort of made a promise to myself and to our audience that we would never publish Grip and Grin photos. All right. Yeah, and and at the time, you know, that was just, you know, people were like, are you out of your mind? You know, you're just going to get engagement, you know, if you don't publish people Mm -hmm. holding fish up in the air. And I said, yeah, but you know what? I I was a guide in Key West, and I, during my um, 11 years of guiding down there, I never killed a permit. Mm. Um, Intentionally, I'm sure some died or got eaten by sharks after we released them. But to me, releasing fish has always been uh, a really important part of the sport. Not because there are arguments for mortality and, you know, protecting the population, that sort of thing. But it's really more of a kind of an ethical and and personal choice about the way you approach the sport. So, you know, we can all debate about, you know, which methods for handling fish are better. Science is always giving us more information that we can include in, in our fishing um, but it's not even so much the act, but, but the intent, in my opinion. So anyway, circling back yeah. to, uh, the beginning, kind of lost, the, lost the train of thought there. <laughs> that's good. Yeah. No, that's a good point. I think it is the grip and grin or whatever. I mean, well, I think who was it? We were, uh, I mean, Orvis, I think, uh, I believe it was Orvis. We were talking about that and, um, yeah, we were one of the groups out there, right? The uh, keep them wet and all that stuff. And Orvis started doing that, you know, probably a lot, obviously later than you. It seems like you're on the, the forefront of a lot of this. But they said the same thing. They just stopped showing those fit without even telling anybody, Roy. Stopped showing those. Yeah. And, and, you yeah. know, it's like, you know, it's the right thing to do. You know, obviously, it makes sense. It is. and But, you know, um, there was a lot of pushback when I um, asked, when I brought the subject up with other people in the industry. So, and I don't, certainly don't. Um, I'm glad the industry is shifting, but you know, we still, Instagram in particular is still a place that is all about trophyism. Um, fly fishing is all about trophyism, but you know, we've been pretty successful with our Instagram account without showing Griffin grand photos. So, um, it can be done. And I think it's really important to hold the line on issues that are that important. Yeah, definitely. Well, let's hold some of this to the end if we get a little bit of time at the end. Yeah. I want to dig into uh, some of the fishing that you did when you were guiding uh, in that 10-year or so period. Uh, so take us there. And do you still, I mean, you're, you're now out west, but do you still get out on quite a few salt trips these days? I wouldn't say quite a few. I still go down and fish with um, old clients in the Keys. Uh-huh. Um, there's one in particular that I fish with, uh, a gentleman by the name of Fitzcoker, who started fishing with me when I was 26 and he was 49 and he's, uh, 86 now. Oh, wow. <laughs> and we still fish together. Amazing. You know, so, yeah. Right. <laughs> um, so, you know, a lot of great memories of Key West and, uh, my great, great grandfather was mayor of Key West in the 1890s. So oh, wow. a lot of family connections down there, but, um, so yeah, I started, um, left my job in New Jersey when I was 25, went down to Key West. Actually, I think it was 24 and a half or so. Went down to Key West. Um, had no intention of being guide. I just wanted to be on a boat, hmm. you know, be out there fishing. So, bought a used skiff, an old used action craft, and uh, and started fishing every day. And um, 
about six months into that, the guide, that original guide that I had hired when I was in college said, hey, we've got a fishing international tournament coming up and we don't have enough guides. There are only like six guides in the whole lower keys. <laughs> wow. Can imagine that. And uh, he said, would you mind, you know, guiding? And I said, I don't know anything about tarpon fishing, the tarpon tournament. And he said, just fake it. Just oh, wow. Fake it, fake it till yes. you make it. <laughs> so we faked it. I was fortunate enough to be paired up with a guy named Ray Fetcher, who was already a phenomenal guide down there. And we won the tournament. So No way. <laughs> yeah. And I got a, not, not any, no credit to me. It was all Ray. Uh, okay. But I did get to fish with the... Uh, some of the really the best casters and anglers who were all West Coast steelheaders. Um, and that whole culture really kind of, you know, shifted to into tarpon fishing at around that time. So uh, it was a real education for me. And let's stop there. I, I know there's definitely, we have a lot of steelheaders uh, on the West that are listening. So why was it West Coast steelheaders? Why were they some of the, the best casters or was that just a, a random? Well, you know, they were, you know, covering a lot of water with their casts. They were, it was, you know. Single hand, right? We were talking single hand back in the day. Well, single hand for tarpon, but they were, I think they were, some of them were double-handed yeah. uh, casting. And, and remind us again, timing. This would have been, what What was this timing in this, this tournament? That would have been, um, first tournament would have been 1996, I think. I'm sorry. No, no. 86. I'm sorry. Oh yeah. Decade off. 86. That's what I was thinking. So 86 would have been definitely before the, the big, the first of the spay boom. So yeah, that would have been a lot of single handed steelheaders, you know, I'm sure people, yeah. yep. Cast in a, you know, I remember those days they were, if you weren't a good steelhead caster with the eight weight, you know, it could be tough to make a long cast. Oh yeah. No question about it. But I, I mean, I know that they were using two handed rods because, um, and techniques because I actually fished with a guy named Buzz Fiorini who, who insisted on, on fishing with his spay rod for tarpon. So. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. They, they had them back. It just wasn't, I think with more of the late eighties, early uh -huh. days when it really started hitting, mm -hmm. hitting harder. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So cool. Well, give us a little more. So Key West, take us there. Tell us about uh, Key West. Like if we were to go there on a trip right now, what, what are we looking like? What, what's so special about that area? Well, Key West is not is a vestige of what it was uh, in the 70s and 80s. Um, and uh, that was before the tourist industry really hit the Keys. And uh, you could afford to live down there. You know, a guy could afford to buy a house. And, oh, wow. And uh, the ecosystem was pretty, relatively speaking, pretty untouched. Um, so what you would see today is very different than what, was it around back then? And honestly, for a 25 year old single guy, being Key West was kind of like a paradise. <laughs> Let's take a quick break for a word from our sponsor. The CRC system from Trestle provides secure, convenient storage for your fully rigged fly rods with unsurpassed gear protection. The CRC system is pretty cool. They, it comes with a very easy mounting system. It uh, it secures right to your vehicle, to your rack, whatever you have there. There's a reel compartment that's actually uh, flipped around, so your reel's right up, which actually protects them more. Uh, this thing is bomber. You can bomb down a gravel road and, uh, and not have to worry about your rods on top of the car. So 
This is just makes it easier to have things ready to go. Obviously, having your rods rigged and ready to go makes it easier just to like get off work. There you go. They're on. They're on top of your car. You don't have to rig them up. Uh, the, and you can actually, you know, this is fully. If you want to have it the full length, you can have your rod um, ready to go. So no breaking it down or any of that stuff, which is cool. I remember uh, I had a pickup at one time that had the window in the middle, which was always pretty handy. I'd leave my rod fully rigged and they would slip through there and it actually worked out really well. Uh, now I don't have that option. So having this rod carrier is actually really nice. If you have a car that's not a pickup, uh, your chance of getting a rod fully rigged in your car is uh, slim to none. So this is a way to do it. The, uh, the CRC system actually has uh, the flip up uh, compartment actually allows you for hatchbacks. It makes it easier if you're securing on a hatchback. There's definitely a ton of stuff here. I'm kind of uh, chopping this one up and uh, I'm not doing a good job. So I'm gonna just let Trestle uh, take over here. Head over to Trestle. Uh, that's wetflyswing.com slash Trestle, T-R-X-S-T-L-E to get started right now. And you will support Trestle, this podcast, and a whole bunch of excited people if you click over to that link right now. Check it out. Okay, back to the show. Why was it, I mean, obviously the conservation stuff is, is super important. I'm just curious, you know, in the last, that time until now, uh, you know, has it just been an onslaught of all sorts of different things or would that be, I mean, maybe that's a whole other podcast episode. What's been the, the challenges there? As far as the ecosystem, the habitat? Yeah. Well, it is, it is a really complicated subject in some ways, but in other ways, it's really simple. Um, the pollution from um, sewage systems and um, agriculture in Florida, as well as fertilizers and pesticides, um, did a lot of damage to um, Florida Bay. And of course, the uh, because of the agricultural use of Everglades water, the water essentially stopped running through the Everglades uh, for a while. And um, got for example you've got seven feet of toxic sludge in the bottom of lake okeechobee because of um poor agricultural practices but so all of those impacts but then you you know you combine that with global warming um, i helped start a nonprofit called reef relief hmm. in the late uh, 80s and we were all about protecting the reef but you know our our efforts which involved putting mooring buoys in the reefs to prevent anchor damage were just you know um a token effort yeah. to global warming and climate change, which of course led to mass die-offs of coral and and uh, so the coral in Key West is probably two percent of what it was. Oh, wow. um, yeah, in 1985 when I started. So in just that time, and that that just gets back to so so in you know that whatever that time you know the since 85. Um, and then why was it, why not, you know, what happened between say 65 and 85 or, or, you know what I mean? Like we just have been double, oh, I guess just population growth, right? That's kind of the bottom line. Development and, um, yeah. just really, uh, basically neglect yeah. of the issues that were there. Um, Florida has always been about money and development. Right. Um, and, uh, so nature gets, um, the leftovers, gotcha. you know, and Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll put a link out. And we did have an episode, uh, uh, number 270, uh, we talked about the Everglades, and, and Steve Davis broke down some of this and talked about, mm -hmm. 
you know, and it sounds like, you know, there's still a lot of work uh, to be done and it's the largest restoration project in the history of <laughs> the planet, you know, that's going on down there. So um, they need a lot of cash, but um, it sounds like there's some work being done. So I'll leave that one there, but keep us going on that, that line of, sure. of, of, you know, let's just say we're planning a trip, you know, we want to get out. Would you recommend going there? Like, where would you recommend going for a permit if we wanted to go do that in that part of the world? Well, um, you know, permit fishing is still incredible in Key West, and, it, and it's because I think the knowledge and the um, experience of the guides down there is unlike any any part of the world. And that's not to say that, you know, the Central American guides and, and Bahamian guides, for example, also haven't really, you know, um, become incredible at permit fishing, but permit fishing was new, you know, essentially when I started, when I started fly fishing for permit or guiding anglers to, to fish for permit, it really was not considered possible to catch a permit on a fly. Or if it was, it was like a fluke, you know, Nat Raglan told me that, that, you know, how do you, I asked him once, when do you, how do you catch a permit on a fly? He said, just tie on a cockroach tarpon pattern, which was originally for permit. And he said, just, if you see a permit, just throw it at him, throw it at him. And if, he'll eat, if sometimes they didn't, but usually they don't. Yeah. <laughs> that was it. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> so now the, um, permit fishing is quite a bit more challenging. You don't get as, as many shots, but, um, it also really places a, a importance on the guide themselves. So, um, I think it's incredibly important to book a really good guide. You can use somebody like, um, you know, Nathaniel and Catherine Lindell's uh, shop in Key West, um, or, you know, some of the other sort of local establishments down there to book, to book guides, but it's really, really important to get a good guide and it's hard to get a good guide. So you have to really book, um, pretty far out in advance, although COVID's probably made it a little bit easier. But, uh, so yeah, you know, if you do manage to book a good guide and, um, you, um, get out there, you're probably looking forward and we're talking just about permit right now. Yep. You know, you're looking forward to, I don't know, you know, on a good day, you might get five or six good shots at fish. Yep. Um, and, uh, you know, the thing about the keys and, and this is still true, um, is, if you go out there with the goal of just witnessing what an incredible environment that is and, and yeah, experience the exactly. beauty of, you know, those flats and really being out there in the middle of nowhere, you know, you're in the tip of an archipelago in the middle of the ocean. Uh, it's, you can't have a bad day, you know, um, at least that's the way I, I think of it. And permanent fishing, of course, requires an incredible amount of patience to begin with. Uh, yeah. The tarpon fishing has been um, sort of uh, up and down since uh, the 90s. I think the numbers of fish are lower, but, you know, you could probably, again, fishing with a good guide and having decent weather, you, you're going to get a dozen or two shots a day at fish on a good day. Yeah, which sounds pretty good to me. Yeah, 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 no kidding. <laughs> Challenge is they don't eat nearly as readily as they used to, you know, so. Oh, right, yeah. The adaptations have been made as far as, uh, you know, using clear tip fly lines, using lighter lines, using smaller flies, uh, so on and so forth, and changing the techniques that are used when you retrieve the fly. 
are really kind of, you know, if you were to take the guy who was fishing in 1985 for tarpon down there and put him on the bow of the skiff today, he'd, he'd have to kind of forget most of what he knew. No <laughs> but yeah, it's that different. And is that because, I mean, obviously it sounds like there's fewer fish, but, wh- but why is that? Why, why would, uh, are fish getting smarter as we go? Um, you know, tarpon live for incredibly long, uh, periods of time you know that can live 50 60 years or longer so um and those migratory fish i'm assuming and i think the science probably backs us up or are the same fish that come through the same routes uh year after year so you know i whether they whether their brain is large enough to have memory of you know being hooked or having a fly thrown at them or being run over by a skiff or something i'm not sure what that I'm not sure we'll ever know, you know, but they certainly um, have learned, I guess I could say, to, uh, you know, not eat flies that aren't, you know, put right in their face and and made it really easy for them to make the decision to bite it. So, yeah, that's what we know. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, talk about it. So if you're heading down, let's just say somebody wanted to go down there and do this, uh, I guess, find a good guide. You mentioned What's that look like doing the trip? Do, you, do most people go down there and kind of uh, do it, um, you know, as far as lodges, uh, all that sort of stuff? What, what would be a good resource? Do you have something on your website where you can just be like, hey, I want to do this permit trip. I can just go dig into Marshall's site and get all the info there. What I would do is I would actually call the angling company, which is, um, in my opinion, the best uh, fly shop in Key West. There's another fly shop called the Saltwater Angler, which is another option on uh, the waterfront down there. Um, but Nathaniel Linville, who owns, and Kat, his, his wife, who I mentioned before, um, they're both uh, highly accomplished anglers themselves. And uh, Nathaniel owns a couple of uh, world records. I'm not sure what the count is now, but he's probably one of the best saltwater fly fishermen in the world um, right now. Um, and he's he's had some amazing catches. So I would call the angling company. They're kind of like the you know, switchboard yep. for all the best guides down there. Not, you know, there awesome. of course there are guides that are, that are already booked and don't need uh, to be associated with a fly shop. But uh, yeah, that would be my suggestions. Anglingcompany.com. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Well, that's a great resource. Okay. And I was just thinking as you were talking, uh, I was, you know, looking through some of your past, uh, the info on your site and you had a, um, I'm not sure. I guess it's a podcast. You had a uh, an interview with um, Michael Keaton. Is that true? Yeah, Michael um, started fishing with me in 1989, I think, and um, we fished um, for a few days every year. And uh, I, yeah, you know, sort of. I have a lot of friends in Montana that I made through guiding, and so uh, you know, got to spend quite a bit of time. Uh, fishing in Montana with some of those same guys that I was guiding. And so we developed a friendship and, and, you know, just sort of uh, followed him along the way. I think at that time his he had not yet done Batman. He was about to do Batman at first, you know, then his popularity. Oh, what was before Batman? I mean, he did, he did a ton of stuff, but what was the big one before Batman? Oh my God. Um, he's going to punch me in the mouth because I can't remember a lot of the stuff. Yeah. You're on the spot. You're on the spot. I'm trying to think too, because I mean, I love Michael Keaton. I mean, he's like old school. He was through all the, I mean, tons of movies, like probably hundreds of movies. I can't even think of one. 
Well, that's the challenge with Michael is like, okay, what, what has he done? Well, he's, he's like one of the most, I don't want to say the words, but not prolific, but something like that. You know, he's the busiest actor, one of the busiest actors. He's, yeah. 70, he's 70 years old now. And, you know, we, we started fishing when he was, I think he was in his forties maybe, or maybe, I don't know. And, uh, you know, so he, he was still a young stand up comedian. Oh, really? I think he was actually in his, yeah, he was maybe in his late thirties at the time. So, Oh, of course I got one. I got one for you here. This is, this is classic. So I'm just looking just cause I want to leave it. So Beetlejuice. Right. That was actually, he had, he was, I think he maybe it may have been working on Beetlejuice or just finished Beetlejuice when we started fishing together, but yeah. Yeah. And he, and he, by the way, was even when we first started fishing together, he was already an accomplished fly fisherman. It wasn't like he was a novice. Oh, no kidding. That's really cool. Let's go back to your website just for a second because you got so much content. I mean, I remember I was talking to uh, Orvis. I can't remember who. I think it was. Um, I think it was Phil. You know, them doing a daily blog. I mean, you've been doing a similar thing uh, with all this content. How do you organize it so when somebody comes to your site for like say this, we're talking about permit, they're going to, they want to go fishing. How do they come there and get all that information on your site? How do you focus that? Well, I mean, an easy way to we have. Um, I think we have over fifteen thousand pages of content. So. It's when you have that much content, it's not easy to organize it all. Um, obviously, no. we make it available through a menu at the top of the page. But um, you know, if you're looking for a topic, I'd actually just suggest you actually do a search and and search. And uh, but since email is such uh, an important and increasingly important part of uh, finding and discovering what we have on our site. I would encourage anybody who's interested to just subscribe to our email, which is newsletter, which is free. And, and then, you know, every week you'll get all the latest news and, uh, feature, you know, a new featured article and then, you know, other how to content, um, that you can click on in the newsletter and go to the site. So that's probably the best way to kind of, uh, dive in. But yeah, I mean, there's just so much stuff there. When I, you know, when I started doing my own research by searching on MidCurrent about 10 years ago, I figured we kind of reached a tipping point. <laughs> you know, I was like, That's right. okay, wait, I want to know how to do this. Well, I can Google it, but you know, Google, Google results are one thing, but then I can, I can search on MidCurrent. I can usually find something that, that, that's good. Yeah. Yeah, that's so cool. Well, well, I noticed when I when I typed in permit, um, I mean, there's tons of great resources from your site. Before that, it pops up a little. Um, it's I guess there. I guess it's Google Ads. It's popping up the search result on Google. Yeah, so the search results do show Google Ads before the uh, search results. Yeah. Yeah. So so that's it. I haven't seen that before. Yeah. So you're basically. So you've got Google ads going in, but then you get down below, just like any Google search. If you're on Google, you skip through that and you get down to the actual, um, the real organic, which is this organic. And yeah, you got a ton of stuff, the permit puzzle, hunting permit, you got permit, I mean, all sorts of stuff. What, um, you know, as far as the, uh, the news, I mean, how do you do this that you got all 15,000, how do you decide where you're going next, what you're doing, what you're, I mean, are you a mix between fresh salt equal or how's that look? Well, you know, 95% of fly fishing is freshwater, so it's really challenging yeah. to do do justice to saltwater. I would love to, of course. I'd love to be talking about saltwater all the time, but, you know, we have to be focused on reach. And since uh, yeah. most people are trout fishermen, then that's mostly what we talk about. But 
the really the way we approach editorial is probably say, okay, the most important thing we could do, and one of the reasons I started Midcurrent was there was so much misinformation about how to on fly fishing happening on the web. Um, I said, we can fix that problem. We can just absolutely vet everything about how to and deliver mm. some really, you know, credible and solid how-to information at volume so we can really help people become better at fly fishing. So how-to is still our focus. Yeah. You can probably see the news, half the news stories or, you know, why you should use a nine-foot rod or, mm-hmm. you know, try this trick or this out of the other. And then the rest of it is, um, you know, industry uh, news, events, um, people, uh, what's happening with people, um, and um, literature and art and so on and so forth. But how I would say how-to and, um, you know, video content probably in recent years has sort of taken over the, the news feed. Yeah. That's right. And you have a little spot for uh, podcasting in there, don't you? You got a little link out there. Or a little yeah, we, we, we try it and, uh, I, I can never make everybody happy enough. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> I'm sure, right. as you know, there are a lot of podcasts out there and there seems like somebody's trying to start one every day. So yeah, there is. Hopefully you've noticed that we've linked to you a few times. <laughs> I have, I have. No, I appreciate that. No, I've seen that. It's been awesome before we talked. And and you do a fabulous job, by the way. Oh, I appreciate that. When I first came across your podcast a couple of years ago, I just thought, okay, here's a guy who really who gets it, who understands yeah. the value of the conversations. Yeah. I think, yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, I think it's uh, part of the thing is I remember when we got started, you know, we've been, haven't been going since 04, but it's been quite a while now. And I remember, you know, I mean, part of it was just that, Pat, you find that thing you really love and like podcasting for me and fly fishing were those two things. And I just brought them together yeah. and, and it just worked. So it wasn't even, you know, it wasn't that much work at the start. Well, it's always a lot of work, obviously, like, you know, for any of this stuff, but, um, but when you love it, it doesn't seem like as much work, right? No, well, you know, but I, I do think you're, you know, you really do. It does require a specific skill set, and not a lot of people have it. I mean, a lot of people that would love to be podcasters, and I'd love to be a, a really great podcaster, and but I don't, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not, uh, I'm not an entertainer at heart. <laughs> right, entertainer. <yeah. laughs> That's the well. The thing is that I was told this is. I've interviewed a few other. We've got another show we do, kind of as a side project. And I've interviewed some pretty heavy hitters in that space. Uh, the guy who created the NPR podcast, and um, yeah. and he said, I asked him, "What's the number one thing to be a good podcaster?" And he says, "The number one thing is you got to be curious. Mm-hmm. You got to be curious about your subject, about your topic, right? Because mm-hmm. if if you're not curious, it shows. It's really obvious when somebody comes in, and you, and that's why whenever I get into these things, I'm always thinking, okay, you know, what am I interested in? I, you know, and I know if I find something there, there will be somebody else that will probably like it as well. So that's kind of where I start." Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I don't disagree. Um, but I think yeah. it's also important to have a voice that doesn't put people asleep. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, I do have a, a good, that's why we're doing, that's why we're doing audio here. This is all for me. It's all about the audio. So, uh, cool. Well, let's take it back. I want to, I want to circle back around to the, this whole permit thing, because I think this is a species that is, you know, you hear a lot about and you hear about how challenging it is. And I want to set this up. So so if somebody's going there, what would you tell them? They're preparing for a trip now, you know, they're heading down to that area or somewhere. What do they need to do to get ready? You know, you got the gear and all that stuff, but anything else, any tips on preparing? So when you hit the boat with your guide, you're ready to go. Um, I think probably, and this has always been true, the number one mistake people make is not practicing, you know, with a heavier mm-hmm. rod. If they're not, If they're not fly fishing, you know, 
insult 10 days a year, um, you know, on a regular basis, then they really ought to spend time with that, you know, nine weight or 11 weight or whatever they're fishing with. And, you know, even if they just have to cast on the grass, get out there and when the wind's blowing, you know, 15 or 20 knots and practice casting with the wind over your right shoulder or left shoulder, if you're left-handed and, you know, practice casting, not, you don't have to cast a hundred feet. It's good to be able to practice casting distance because if you can cast a hundred feet, you can cast 60 feet more accurately. Um, but, uh, you know, just, just get the muscle memory in place so that when you get on the boat, you're not, um, it's not all new, you know, to your, to your instincts. You don't want to be thinking about your casting. You want to be thinking about what are the fish doing? You, you know, you need to see the fish first, which is, um, you know, one of the biggest challenges in, in flats fishing is, um, your eyes are just not trained to see these, you know, mirror sided bonefish or permit or tarpon. Um, and if you don't have perfect light, which you usually don't, you know, you're dealing with clouds and, and other things. So, um, seeing is, is always a challenge, but you can't really practice that, you know? Um, and so the things you can practice are a casting, um, you can, um, think about, you know, getting a little exercise if you've been sitting around. It's not, it's not easy to stand on a bow of a boat all day long. Right. You know? Um, so, you know, strengthen your legs, you know, go for some runs, uh-huh. do over, do, get in, get in reasonably good physical shape. You know, if you're going to be pulled on a, on an 80 pound tarpon for yep. 20 minutes and putting seven pounds of pressure on him. Um, sounds easy, but it sure helps if you've yep. been working out a little bit. That's it. Yeah. Follow uh, Tom Rowland. Tom Rowland's the fly fishing uh, exercise guy, right? Well, Tom Tom has taken it to the extreme, but but yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I love that. Or or uh, I was told I didn't even know that like compression socks or, or, or tights. Or I don't know if you ever see people out there, but I guess compression socks if you're on your your feet all day could help as well. I'm not sure if people are doing that out there or not. I yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, I know that the last. Um, guide that I fished with, with my friend, um, Fitz, uh, he saw me standing on the bow and he was, he was looking at my, um, my stripping technique with a, with a pretty critical eye. I said, what am I doing wrong? He said, it's all about the core, dude. It's all about the core. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I was like, oh, okay. Well, I forgot to tighten my abdominal muscles. That's yeah. what you're telling me. <laughs> there you go. That's a good tip. Yeah. So, so be, be ready to go. Uh, uh, we'll give us one more there and then we'll move on and we'll kind of start to wrap this thing up here uh, as far as preparing. Yeah. I think the most important thing you could do is, is ask your guide, you know, tell me what's been happening. Um, tell me, you know, uh, what do I need? Um, what, you know, do I need to bring flies or should I, should I bring my own gear? You know, they, they may, they probably have access to the latest fly lines. Always put a new fly line on your rod. It kills me when people spend thousands of dollars mm. to go on a fishing trip yep. and they're reluctant to spend a hundred dollars on a new fly line, which is probably the, the single difference maker, you know, in your casting. So. A quick break from uh, one of our sponsors, Togan's Fly Shop, providing great quality products at a super awesome price. 
Uh, Togans has tons of flight time materials, accessories, all sorts of stuff to cover you, and they've been going for quite some time now. If you have any questions, you can check out Togans, wetflyswing.com slash Togans. Uh, they're offering now a uh, flight tying box, which simplifies the process, especially if you're brand new to it. Uh, they'll send you out one shipment, and you can have your materials packed in one box. I know this is a struggle for some, uh, especially getting started or if you just want to mix it up. So the mystery flight tying box is a good place to dig into it. And, uh, you know, they've got products uh, that are going to arrive pretty quickly. I know when I last made my order, it was only a couple days to get my order from Togans. So it's pretty cool. Togans is actually uh, up in Canada, which is awesome. And you would think that uh, given uh, where we're at today, that it might take a little bit longer. But they got their infrastructure set up pretty awesomely and uh, and very smoothly. So uh, since 2005, Togans has been rolling on this. Uh, you can head over, like I mentioned before, Togans, 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 wetflyswing.com slash Togans, T-O-G-E-N-S to get started and uh, and support uh, Justin and his pops right now uh, today. Okay, let's get back to the show now. Okay, well, let's uh, let's take this out here with our little, we've got a couple of segments here we've been doing, and uh, one of them is uh, Fly Shop Friday. I know it's not uh, Friday right now, but uh, you mentioned a fly shop earlier. I want to highlight that again. Who is, if we want to get some information on heading down there, who do we talk to? Uh, the Angling Company. And they're on Simonton Street in Key West, right downtown. Um, and they've got an incredible selection of gear. Uh, the owner is um, Nathaniel Linville, and his wife is Kat Vallely. Um, They just had a, a little uh, newborn. So mm-hmm. oh, wow. shout out to them. Congratulations, you guys. Um, yeah. And um, their staff is just really, really on top of, of current conditions, you know. But if you're calling ahead of time, and, you know, you want to call months ahead of time, if at all possible, um, and say, hey, I want to do this kind of fishing, or can you can you suggest what I should do? I'm at this level of, of experience. Um, and they're going to have a really good uh, selection of guides to, to set you up with. Perfect. Yeah. Also, gear, gear recommendations. And too. gear. Yep. Yeah, they got everything, yep. and we'll we'll kind of leave. I'll put the link out to them so we can check there. So, so for this fly shop Friday, the question here from John um, in the in the Facebook group was, uh, like you said, casting in the wind. So, can you give us a tip whether you're out on a skiff or you know you're in Jurassic Lake getting pounded? What would you tell somebody if they're just struggling to punch out the cast and the winds either coming at them or sideways? Um, well, you know, if the wind's not in the ideal location one of the jobs of a, of a great guide is of course to position the boat so that you do have good light mm-hmm. and you do have favorable wind but you know yeah. they can only control so much of that so i don't know whether it's half the time or a third of the time it's not going to be it's not going to be ideal and uh you know one of the techniques that works really well when you're dealing with uh um wrong-sided wind is a water hall and um as a spaycaster, you're very familiar with what a water hall is because yep. it helps you, you know, yep. build your loops and so on and so forth. So a lot of those skills can be easily transferred to uh, saltwater fishing. It's not the first thing that people think of. They think of the traditional, you know, it's a double hull and and yep. busted out there kind of casting. But you can be, um, you know, you could have a 20 knot wind blowing over your right shoulder, and you could you could roll out, you know, 30, 40 feet of line and and water haul the good casters can can then just water haul that 
into a back cast and shoot the entire fly line, you know, just based on yeah. one haul. Wow. So one haul. Um, with really strong winds, you don't want to have the fly. You're not going to spend a lot of time false casting in any case, ideally, because uh, the fish can be, you know, potentially see you casting or see the fly line in the air. But everything happens at lightning speed anyway and salt. Yeah. But, um, you know, it, when it's windy, you are going to be spending, and this is just my, you know, perspective, you're going to be spending a fair amount of time, you know, getting your line out, letting it drop into the water and using that water resistance to help load your rod. Um, and then, you know, that's all about in the boat itself. It's all about line management, being sure you're not standing on your line, being sure, you know, some, some guides now swear by what, what are properly called line management devices. So it could be a bucket, um, could be a laundry basket, or it could be a really nice, mm-hmm. um, a stripping basket from somebody like Carbon Marine um, or other, you know, aids to fly line management like spikes and things like that. And then, you know, if you can go barefoot without burning your feet, that helps you feel whether the line's under your feet, that sort of thing. Oh, yeah. There you go. There you go. Yep. yep. Okay. Yeah. Those are, those are, those are awesome. Definitely. That's our, so that wraps up our uh, our fly shop Friday segment. Uh, that this is good. We're um, we're doing some mixing things up. I guess that's always something I'm thinking about. You know, like we've got some good stuff going. We've built a really you know good program here. But I'm always thinking like, how do we do it even better? Do you when you're you know with what you do? Do you think of the same thing with mid current? Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're, you're always trying to do better. Um, you know, I'm very in a very metrics driven side of the business. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think the we can all have opinions about what people want to um, engage with, but the only thing that really matters is what they actually do engage with. And so, yeah. you know, the question for any publisher, whether you're podcast uh, or um, video or yeah. um, or just traditional, you know, text and, and images is what are people actually engaging with? And I think that's especially true with uh, younger yeah. You know, the younger demographic, they have shorter attention spans. Um, yep. I had a really instructive period where I was watching my son learn how to fly tie, tie flies with, uh, by watching YouTube videos. And as you know, there's some really great YouTube videos, mm-hmm. but it was really interesting to see him at, you know, 15 years old, the way he watched a tying video was he just constantly had his hand on the mouse and he was just skipping back and forth and, he wasn't watching the entire video, so you know, it's a kind of thinking in snippets kind of kind of which yeah. is for somebody who's a you know former writer and editor. I don't really like to that idea. <laughs> Somebody's not <laughs> yeah. going to pay attention to my whole one-hour podcast or this set or the other. Right, but, but it is something to you know just I guess be aware of. We try to be aware of it all the time. You know, you sort of front load the content and videos you you have to also front load the content and everything else you do you know to keep people engaged that's it yeah i think that is one of the powerful things with the podcast is that the engagement you know people that are listening typically like right now right we've been in this thing coming up on an hour and we've kind of been all over the place we've been just you know i've been just following whatever we've been talking about but you know most people are listening till the end you know what i mean are a good part of it and that's pretty crazy to think, right? Because like you said, YouTube, it's it's five minutes yeah, or something yeah, like that. Yeah. And, and blogs, it's probably you probably know it's probably just a, a couple of minutes, right? People are checking out the headlines, the H twos and they're and they're heading on, right? Yeah. I mean I, I had a um 
uh, a very famous video producer uh, and film producer in New York City when I was talking to him about podcasts a few years ago say, um, so what do you think we should be doing? And he said, forget about video. The future is podcasting. <laughs> oh, wow. Look at that. He said, don't tell anybody I said that. <laughs> but, That's hilarious. So this was recently, huh? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And I, and, I, and I said, why do you say that? And he said, well, because you can listen to a podcast when you're doing anything. Think about that. Exactly. Think about that. You yeah. can be cooking. You can be, you can have a television on in the background. You can be driving down the road, which is probably the way a lot of people, you know, uh, listen yep. to podcasts. He said, it's the only medium that you can enjoy while you're engaged in other activities. And you can download it and listen to it anywhere. Yeah. That's the other, especially for fishing in the remote. Not, yeah. not that anybody wants to listen to a podcast at a remote candy, but we've heard of a few people that have, you know, and I do it. I do it sometimes. Hey, why not? You know, fishing slow, take a little <laughs> nap, listen to a podcast. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I learned a little bit while you go. No, I, I agree. I think we got in on it. You know, we launched this in 2017. And it, even though it felt like there were already so many podcasts out there, you know, and it always feels like that. Even right now, it's like people are like, oh, my God, there's so many podcasts. But it's it's the best time to start is right now. And you know what I mean? If you if you stay with it, you can be a leader. You know what I mean? Just like anything. Well, and I think what you said earlier is so true that, you know, if you're if you're a curious person and you enjoy listening, really listening to people, because I think as a as a host, that's what you're doing, right? You're mm-hmm. getting people to say things that might not be revealed in anything else, mm-hmm. right? Then you're really uh, having fun and you're really learning stuff while you're doing it as well. So exactly. um, I don't know. I think it's kind of cool. Yeah. That's it. No, it is. It's true. And, and to wrap this one up for me, just so, you know, just so I know, you know, and people know, I mean, it's, it's like the trips, you know, I mean, all these trips, I want to go to every country. I want to fish for every species. I want to do it all. And I know there's no way I'm going to do it. Nobody is, but this is a kind of a way to do it a little bit, right? It's like the reading the book, the same sort of thing where, you know, if you don't read, uh, you can't go everywhere. And this is one way you can experience a little bit of, it's like you, like Key West today, right? We know a little bit about Key West, just enough to whet our, our appetite, right? To know that we could go there if we wanted to. We could yeah. do this. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, you, you really get to meet people on a podcast that you don't, you don't really, even if you go to a fly fishing show and you meet them in person, they're, they're usually talking to tons of other people and yeah. stuff. So, you know, it's a, it's a really cool medium. That's cool. Nice. Well, tell me about Michael Keaton because I'm, I'm I want to go back to Keaton just because I know there's probably a lot of youngsters that don't know Michael Keaton. But for me, he was a huge. You know, he's a movie star. When you posted that for Michael Keaton um, or or any huge, I mean, how does that look on the you know the Google stuff? Do you just get does that bring in a bunch of new readers because it's Michael Keaton or how does that look? Uh, yeah. I mean, I th- I'm you know obviously we get a, we we distribute. Uh, the content across all our channels and we have tr- incredible reach. So, you know, mm-hmm. we have thousands and thousands of, of people listening to that stuff. Yeah. Just impressions. Yeah. Listening, yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, I don't know. It's, you know, it's really interesting to, to see what people engage with. Obviously if you got, you know, Michael Keaton, I think could qualify as an influencer. <laughs> yeah. I'd say. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> Obviously, there's a lot of power yes. in that. Um, yeah. But, you know, when I talk to somebody like Michael, I also try to be very respectful. And I'm more interested. I don't know if you had a chance to listen to the podcast, but, you know, I like to yeah. I like to dive deep. You know, and I'm not really there to entertain people when I do a podcast. Um, 
So um, it's really kind of selfish, you know, in a lot of ways. Like, I want to know, like, you know, are you are you the same kind of angler you were when you started, or are there things that you regret about what you did when you started? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, I want to know that stuff, right? Because I I yeah, have the so same, you know, I'm asking the questions because I sort of have the same experiences, and I want to, you know, hear about do they resonate with somebody who's famous, you know, or right. or this, that, or the other. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, so if you're, if you're listening to Michael talk about acting and fly fishing and your only association with him is having watched Mr. Mom five times in the 1980s, yeah, Mr. right? Mom. You're, <laughs> you're thinking to yourself, okay, this is not the guy that I thought it was, right? Right. Um, yeah. There was, yeah. He's just a guy, right? He's a guy. He's incredibly thoughtful. He's very uh, talented. Uh, he can outfish me on a trout stream any day of the week. No kidding. Oh yeah. Oh, absolutely. That's cool. Yeah. So, um, a lot of aspects to people like that, that no one ever gets to see. And I've been fortunate to be able to spend time with, with people like him and non-public settings and get to see it. So that's great. So yeah, you're getting back to the, like you said, I always think of the three E's, the, you know, you're entertaining, educating, and getting some emotion going, you know, if you hit on, you hit on a couple of those things at least you're doing probably pretty well but you, it sounds like you like to really touch on the emotional and really maybe not focus on the uh education as much when you do these podcasts yeah i mean you know how-to stuff is great for getting people introduced to the sport or you know refreshing their knowledge but i think the really interesting stuff about fly fishing is is it happens at the personal and psychological Mm -hmm. level you know whether it's our connection our reciprocal relationship with the natural world or you know the stories of people who have been involved in fly fishing and uh, all the good things they're doing and outside of fly fishing you know and and things like that so um it's just almost endless right it's yeah it's a it's a sport that attracts uh successful people but it's also it's not um you know, it's not expensive to start with and, um, no. and get engaged in. And, and it does, it is a pathway, um, and an opportunity to, uh, engage with the natural world. So, uh, yeah, that, I think that's the most powerful thing. You got, you got the natural world, you know, in this day and age of the, right, the kids, especially, I mean, I've got two little kids, you know, and they're nine and seven, they don't have phones yet, but they're, they're faster than I am on, on typing on an iPad. And, uh, it's scary because you're like, oh my God, I grew up right in an area where it was like, we were camping and, and always outdoors. So I don't know, I get a little worried because I see the other kids, but I feel like the more they're outdoors, I think we'll be okay. I think that's the goal. I agree. And, uh, you know, I also think it's, it's important to remember that, you know, um, technology is not evil, right? <laughs> you know, it's like any other, it's like any other addiction really in anybody's life. Yeah. Um, yeah. you know, if it prevents you from, from doing the things that are really important, like going outside and playing when you're five years old, um, then, uh, yeah. uh you know, you got to limit it, you know, but, That's but it. I, there's too, I think there also, there's too much emphasis on the evils of technology, not the technology, yeah. the evil. <laughs> so we, we yeah. see examples every right. day. But the reality is that at least the people that I know and respect in the environmental world, you know, they started their life playing outdoors, uh, free play. Yeah. And that's what fishing should be, too, for kids. Yeah, perfect. 
Well, and, and I just want to wrap that up on the podcast too. So your pod, just so I know, so this podcast you have going is, is um, I mean, it's not necessarily, it's not out on Apple Podcasts or can you find these things out there? Is this more like interviews on your website? It's only on our website. I've done a terrible job of distri- distributing a podcast, probably because I'm the, I'm the host. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but no, you'd need to go and it's pretty intermittent. So, um, yeah. and, and gotcha. people like you are doing such a incredible job. You know, I'm just a hanger on at this point, but yeah. you know, we do have, we do have some interesting stuff, uh, if you dig deep uh-huh. into the website. So no, I want to look at that. So if you want to dig into that, if I go to, where would I go to find your, just the ones you do these audio podcast interviews on your site? Well, literally, if you go to um, go deeper on our top menu yeah. and you go to podcasts, um, oh, that's, that's yeah. going to take you to, yeah. Yeah, that'll take you there. Yeah. So, so you do a little bit of, like you said, you know, you highlight out sometimes to other podcasts and then you have what you're doing on your own there as well. So it's a little bit of everything. Yeah. So it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's really not, hasn't been a focus. I wish we had more time and resources to, to focus on it. But, um, as I said, people like you were doing such an incredible job and, you know, sort of, it's sort of redundant in some ways. Gotcha. Nice. All right. Uh, Marshall. Well, I think, um, I mean, this is definitely, I feel like a lot of these, I always feel that I want to talk for another couple hours and maybe eventually we'll get to a point where we can do that. But, um, uh, I'm gonna let you get out of here. Uh, you know, we talked just, we scratched the surface obviously on, on Key West and we got a fly shop now to connect with, um, anything else you want to leave us with? I know we didn't um, probably do your website justice on what you cover because you cover a lot. But what do you tell somebody if they're new to your site? And you know, you said sign up to the newsletter is probably still the best place to connect with you and what you have going. Yeah, I mean, just you know, get on there, explore, and, and you know, with, with as much content as we have, it's all you could probably spend a year just just reading, you know, articles and still not read them all. So. Uh, yeah, you know, I, anything that uh, any impressions communicate with us, tell us what we need to do better. You know, we're always interested in knowing what we could do better, and um, and uh, we always listen to what people's reactions are. So we get tons, we get tons of emails, but um, it's all important. Yeah, and and I want to take it out. I got two just to take out here really quickly. One, and we these could be huge topics, but I'm we're gonna make them short. This is gonna be the rapid fire. I haven't mentioned rapid fire in a while, a while because when I used to do that segment, people would say you're not really very rapid when you get into <laughs> a conversation. But um, so first, blogging. I mean, you essentially, you know, the the word blog is such a kind of a right. It's but you are a blogger essentially. What, what do you love about uh, you know? If you had to say one thing, what do you really love? You've done it almost 20 years now. What what keeps you going on? Um, well, I, uh, you know, I think having done it, never really having taken a day off for 20 years, um, oh, wow. has been, you know, uh, a discipline and exercise and discipline, I guess you huh. would say. You haven't done that. You, you've done, you haven't taken, and, and how often, what's your cadence on your publishing schedule? So we publish something every day, at least, at least one or two things every day. And, uh, and you've been doing that since 2004? Well, I do have uh, staff people helping me with that now, but um, I would, I, you know, so it was, it's not quite true to say I haven't had a day off recently, but there was probably a period of, of 17 years where I literally didn't have a day off not doing something for MidCurrent. So yep. um, uh, I don't know. It's, uh, you know, it's just, it's, it's a little bit like writing a book, you know, you put all the, the ideas together in the chapter together and you, you look back over a year and you say, well, you know, that, 
it's kind of a cool body of work that we accomplished there, you know? Yeah. And I don't know whether as a whole, it means as much as you would, as it does to the creator, you know, to the, to mm-hmm. the person just visiting the site. It's like, Oh, well, it's a, yeah. it's a really cool painting. I wonder who did that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but, um, by the way, I've never thought of myself as a blogger because I always mm-hmm. really dislike that term. No, I know. Yeah, but, yeah. but, um, and it also, we don't, we're not a sort of stream of thought, um, content, personal content platform, right. which we never were. It's not you. No, yeah. it's always about the newsmakers. It's always about the, the experts and somebody That's else, right. not, not about what I think about what they're yeah. you know, doing. So. Um, that's a great point but but yep. yeah interesting question so yeah 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 not too dissimilar to the way i look at it too you know this is again you know that i do a guested uh, you know hosted show in, with my guest and today it's been you know obviously focused on you uh give us one conservation let's not say let's take obviously we got steelhead that's a big one going on we talked a little bit about the florida what what else give us one other big one that's out there around the country that you think is a hot topic right now that we should be thinking about um, I have a really strong interest in rewilding, and I don't know if you know uh, much about that topic. No, not much, no. Yeah, so so the idea uh, – rewilding has meant a lot of different things to people all through the last few decades. It started out with just you know, <laughs> releasing animals into the wild, but it's, but it's, it's yeah. really um, taken hold in uh, – uh, especially in Europe where they've been very successful with the reintroduction of – of species, um, hmm. that's that's challenging in the United States, mostly for political reasons. Um, but mm-hmm. the idea that um, you should leave wilderness to manage itself is kind of at the core of rewilding. And I know there are a lot of people who will disagree with me on that. I hear from I hear it all the time. But um, the impact potential impact on um, habitat for trout, for example, is that you treat uh, the watershed holistically, not just the river itself as a sort of um, snippet of, of the habitat that you need to protect. You need to actually protect the whole, the whole watershed. Yeah, the whole not, and it's not, it's not new thinking, but it often gets, um, Less attention because the focus of modern conservation, for the most part, is about uh, whether something is practical or can make money. Right. And um, I think those two ideas are at at odds with one another. I think that the intangible benefits of nature are rarely a part of the process, and I think that's that's unfortunate. So I don't know whether that answers your question, but. That does. No, it gets us me thinking that I think we can think about a number of different, I always, we talked about this on a recent episode and we don't have to dig into it today, but the wolf, uh, you know, the wolves and everything going on there, that Yellowstone study that they did a while back where they reintroduced wolves and the wolves, you know, basically changed the whole, uh, you know, dynamic of what was going on in nature. Absolutely. And kept the elk out of the riparian area. And then those trees, uh, the whole cycle because of bringing one species, which was part of the natural system, um, so that's a really good example. And I'm sure there's hundreds of examples around the country of people reintroducing things for a positive um, yeah. benefit. Yeah. So it's, uh, I think it's sort of, you know, an up and coming, um, you know, um, idea. And mm-hmm. uh, I see a lot more people engaged in it. I'd love to see the fly fishing world go in that direction as well, you know, and not, you not just about, um, 
you know, restoring fish populations, but actually right. giving yep. the habitat and all of the species that that are connected to trout um, their due as well. Perfect. All right, Marshall, well, I'll let you get out of here. I'm going to send everybody out to uh, midcurrent.com. And, um, yeah, thanks again uh, for all the time today. It's been fun to finally connect with you. I've been watching and reading your stuff for years. And, and this has been really cool to finally put together. So, yeah, thanks for all your time today. Well, thank you so much for having me, Dave. It's been a pleasure uh, talking with you. And um, great job on what you're doing. And keep doing it. So there you go. If you want to find all the show notes, all the links, and everything else we covered today, head over to wetflyswing.com slash 293-293. You can uh, subscribe to the show at wetflyswing.com slash subscribe so you get updated when that next episode goes live. And it's going to be going live quick. I'm going to let you get out of here. I'm not going to do any chitter-chatter today because we've all got some good stuff to get onto. So let's get on to it. Uh, thank you for supporting the show, and thank you for being you talk to you soon thanks for listening to the wet fly swing fly fishing show for notes and links from this episode visit wetflyswing.com